0: I wanted to give a little bit of uh, background about not too much about myself, but a little bit about the church so you can hear what's going on over at Calvary Independent Baptist Church. Uh, So as was mentioned, I was uh, uh, trained down in Florida. I lived there for 10 years, so I guess I kind of consider myself from there. I was born in Greenville, South Carolina, always been from the southeast, but I was homeschooled by people who are from up here. My dad was born in Jersey, my mom from Maryland, so I don't have the accent. Uh, so you're like, you do not sound like a guy who grew up in South Carolina, lived in Georgia for a little bit. Uh, that is why it is, uh, is homeschooling. But God has been so gracious to me and has poured in so much to my life. And uh, I, I got to grow up in a, a Christian home and uh, just, just blessed to have had that opportunity. And uh, what a blessing it is to have Christian parents who love the Lord and uh, raise me in that. So I was saved when I was just five years old and just a wonderful thing. Uh, that's how simple the gospel is. If you know, a five year old can't accept it. Uh so we're doing pretty well up in uh Morton. God's allowing me to work with Pastor John Cartwright and train with him. And he is uh he is quite an individual, quite a past. He if if he had not surrendered to God's call, I think he would have been someone. And uh not that he's not someone, but I'm saying that in 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 the words of man, speaking as a man. Um you know, I he you know, he went to the Navy broke Roger Stahlbeck's records. You know, he could have gone professional, played professional sports, probably had more, uh, you know, money and all, all that stuff. But those things that could be gained to him, he counted loss for the cause of Christ and surrendered to the ministry that God wanted for him. And so what an incredible man that I get to learn from. Uh, he's been in that church doing ministry, the church he planted uh, for about 47 years. And so... Uh, um, just incredible, just incredible, uh, the longevity and uh, his, uh, his humble leadership. And I'm so glad to benefit from that. Uh, and as a church, we're doing well. We're in the middle of a pastoral transition. And what a blessing. Not all churches get to have that, um, but I, I'm getting to go through that. And that's a wonderful thing, you know, where instead of, you know, you have a pastor and then he's gone and you have no pastor and you have to find a pastor, there's overlap. And that is a great thing and uh you know there's there's dangers that can come from that but uh you know if if you're following christ and you're doing what god wants you to do we dwell together in unity and we can do things the right way and uh it's going wonderfully it is just going excellently the blessing of the lord is on that place and uh, a lot of things i could tell you about just success in uh, evangelism recent things we've been able to do is some few people I want to see more a few people that have really um, started to grow in the Lord and become leaders in the church and that's been a wonderful thing to see and so God's been blessing and uh, things are going going pretty well over there um, one thing I'd ask you to pray for um, for me um, I think God wants me to write a curriculum for new believers for discipleship and so pray for me in that endeavor uh, because I need to be doing that that the, uh, that the Lord has called me to do so let's uh, let's get to the let's get to the word now, and uh, I want to lay out what God's uh, what God's put on my heart. Uh, so I brought one of my uh, favorite Bibles. How awesome it is that we can have multiple copies of the Word of God. Uh, I hope the Bible is precious to you, and uh, you know, and that you read it. You know, it's like diet and exercise. How do you lose weight? It's not some pill. It's diet and exercise. How do you grow in your faith? There's no secret thing. There's no hidden knowledge. There's no you know, you read the Bible and you pray. It's the basics, that's what you do. But uh, this is a special Bible to me. I got it actually at Pensacola Christian College uh, from uh, winning the sermon contest. So I have preached at least one good sermon in my life. This is not that sermon, unfortunately for you. But, uh, but I have. So uh, so First John uh, chapter 5. When you go through the book of First John, what he's doing is he's writing to people who are saved and are newer in the faith. They're more recently saved. These are people that don't have a lot of background. A lot of these people that he's writing to are people that would not have been eyewitnesses of any of the things that happened. They weren't around. John, John lived until uh, he was like 90 years old. Uh, so he was one of the last of the 12 uh, that God brought home with him to glory. Most of the other ones are gone. You know, Peter is gone. He was killed. You know, James and Thaddeus, they're gone. But John is left. And so John is seeing these newer Christians come and get saved and start to have some questions. And so he really wants to establish a foundation. Okay, you're saved. Now what? What does that look like? And that's what First John does. So you go through the book of First John and it describes what the Christian life should look like. And we're not going to do that. But one of the things that you'll get from that is you should get a description of things that are true in your life, of experiences that you have. If you read through and it talks about walking in the light as he's in the light. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Having a a life that is closer and closer to God's, that means you sin less. That should be something you experience. Um, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Chapter 2, verse 15. Your desires change in your heart. Have you seen that? does God do that? well if God's doing those things and there's many more, it means you got it. it means you are saved, you are growing and this is going to give you some assurance that hey you haven't miss, missed anything you're experiencing the very work of Almighty God in your heart and in your life. What an awesome thing to have that what an incredible thing what an incredible thing to have that. so I just I just want to ask this guy I'm curious. And, um, you know, I, I don't think there's any problem with this. Um, but if, if there was a time in your life and you're willing to say, yes, there was a time where you asked Jesus to forgive you and save you, would you say, yes, I've done that? Okay. You know, so we've done that. That's good. Not surprising at all. Uh, because uh, we are uh, at a church on a Sunday and the church is made up of believers. So that's what I expect to find. Now, this, so this book is written to you. When you get to chapter 5 of 1 John, the, the if, if you study the book out, the, the main argument, the main thrust, the big thing he's getting to is chapter 4, love. That's his big point. That's the main thing he's saying you need to get. And then you get past that. And I think that's the love chapter of the Bible. Not quite as poetic as 1 Corinthians 13, but wow. I mean, th- to talk about the, the love of God in chapter 4 is incredible. But then you get to chapter 5, and he talks about some different things. And you might be like, "This, where is this coming from? How does this follow in what he's doing? And in chapter 5, what he does is he makes three arguments for the Christian faith. He talks about an argument for, I, I would say, that kind of the emotional appeal of it. An argument for the credibility of it an argument for the the logic that the intellectual consistency of it and this is this is the same as if you were to study Aristotle's rhetoric and I know you're like, wow, who on earth did they get to come talk about Aristotle's rhetoric um, but th- that's that's what's there that's the 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 f- the form of what's there uh, It is intended to persuade. The apostle John is using reason and argumentation to persuade a point. He's trying to convince you of something. Now, what is he trying to convince you of? You've already been saved. So you don't need to be convinced of that. It's not like, hey, you need to trust Jesus. You haven't done that yet. You've done that. So he's writing to people who have done it and he's convincing them. And I believe that what John is trying to convince people of is that you need to come, and and usually the word that we might use for it, is come to the point where you dedicate your life to God. Where it's not just enough to say, okay, I've been saved, but you say, no, everything that I had in the old me is crucified with Christ and dead. And I'm going to mortify it. I'm going to put it to death. And I'm going to live the life that God wants me to live. And that is, I think, the argument that he's making. And I want to go through that. And so I want to argue today, this morning, while your pastor is gone, why well, you should make a life-changing decision. Uh, but I have it from the authority of Scripture. So that is what we're going to try to do this morning. Now I, I know I said it's uh, you know it's a form of Aristotle's rhetoric. God is not borrowing from Aristotle. Aristotle figured it out because that's what God did. And he was just recognizing we're created in the image of God. This makes sense. He recognizes it. He's not looking at it through the lens of scripture, but he's recognizing what's there. It's actually kind of interesting. This is, just, this is a rabbit trail. I'll own it. Uh, but if you, if you go through and you look at philosophy throughout history, that you, you almost always see it come up as a triad. Western uh, philosophy is really based on Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. It goes back to a Greco-Roman thinking and politic. That's what Europe has. That's what we have. That's what Australia has. The West has that foundation. Uh, prophetically, we're still Rome, but yeah, more, more on the side. But you go back and there's the three people, and what do they represent? The same three things. One a more emotional appeal, one more credibility appeal, and one more intellectual appeal. Or, or you could say deduction, induction, and... Um, uh, empiricism, you go back, you look at, so that's Western, you look at Eastern philosophy, and I think it was uh, you know, Confucius, Buddha, and Lao Tse. I'd have to go back and check on that. Um, but you see the same triad, same group of things. You go back to the book of Job, and you look at uh, Eliphaz, and Bildad, and Zophar, same three things. One of them is saying, hey, <laughs> Job, I've been around a long time. I've seen lots of stuff. I know what God does. You're a sinner, and you've br- your sin has brought this judgment upon you. Then you have the second guy, Bildad comes. You know, I haven't been a long, a, a, alive as long as, as Eliphaz has, but, you know, I, I think about it. I read. This just makes sense. This is just how God works. You know, you, you're not suffering for no reason, Job. You've done horrible wickedness, and you're concealing it. Then you have Zophar come, and he's like, well, no, this just feels right. You're just messed up. I mean, that's the only thing that makes sense. And it's like, why? What on earth? You read some of Zophar's things, and boy, you get frustrated. Uh, the fact that it's an argument trumps its uh, narrative structure. But anyway, uh, anyway, this is just something that God does. So we're going to start as John starts, and we're going to look at this pathos, the the emotional argument. And what is he saying is the reason why you need to put all your eggs in God's basket. You need to go all in for God. You need to say, none of my plans, none of my stuff, none of anything I have. Whatever God wants, that's what I'm going to do. So he starts out in uh, chapter 5. He says, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. So that's, that's how it starts. It starts with belief. So then he talks about what you have. He says, everyone that loveth him, that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. So a love for God. This is foundational. We're kind of going back and giving a brief review of the book. The foundation of the book is fellowship with God. Uh, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. So what does someone want? What is going to make me fulfilled in my life? A lot of people, I'm going to want happiness. I'm going to want acceptance in a group of people. I, I'm not an island unto myself. I need to find community. We've been created to find that. We have a sense where things are good or things are bad. And we like the good things and we don't like the bad things. We like the happy days and we don't like the sad days. That, that's how we've been made. That's how we operate. And you know what he says? You know where you're going to find your community? The people of God. Now, there's a lot we could get into with that. That has has nothing to do with the the purpose of what we're doing today, but just how to actually do that. I, I hope you spend more time. I hope this is not the only time you see the faces that are in this room. Do you have people that are here over to your house? Do you talk with them? Do you you call them on the phone? Do you have conversations with people? When you come here, do you just say, oh, hi, nice to see you. Great, glad I met you. I haven't had the chance to meet all of you yet. Maybe I'll have some time to meet more of you after this, but it'll probably be a very short conversation. How are you actually doing? I won't have the ability to find out unless we sat down and talked. You need to do that. That's what the church is made for. It's made for a deeper kind of fellowship, community. It's made to be like family. I hope you get that. I hope you really um, make that environment here. And uh, that would be a wonderful thing. But it says here that we need to then, we need to follow that the path of life is following the commandments of God. And the commandments of God are not grievous. What is he saying? If you obey God, you will be happy and not sad. You will be fulfilled and not frustrated. It is good and not bad. Because you know what people think? A lot of people think, well, the Bible is full of thou shalts and thou shalt nots. There's a whole bunch of rules. The Bible tells me a bunch of stuff. And if I do it, I've talked to people like this. I've tried to witness to them. And they've told me, John, if I do it, then I can't do this anymore. I can't do that anymore. And I enjoy those things. And do they find enjoyment in those? Yes, there's pleasure in sin for a season. And they say, I find enjoyment. I'll lose that. I'll have no source of enjoyment and I'll be miserable. Now, what they don't know is what you've recognized. The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich and he addeth no sorrow with it. You're like, I have a source of joy and happiness, but there's no end thereof are the ways of death. There's no... You reap what you sow, consequences, sin finding you out, and and just being miserable. I don't have that experience. But they're not going to know until they do it. But, you know, if you've been saved, if you follow God, it will be satisfying. It will be good. You've experienced that. Will someone testify and say, amen, that's me. I've experienced this. Yes, this is the way of gladness. There's a hymn that says, I've discovered the way of gladness. What other place is going to give us such satisfaction? Where else do you find joy without sorrow? Pleasure without destruction. Only with God. Only with God. And we only have that to look forward to. Now, that's not to say there is not um, trials. That there is not suffering. Read through the book of Romans. We dwell in a place where there is sin and death and suffering, but we are overcomers of that. We're not defined by that. We're not limited by that. That is the the setting where we find ourselves, but we find inexplicable joy in the midst of it. Go find a cancer doctor and ask them, have you ever seen a cancer patient sing a song and be joyful and happy? And I'm sure there will have been times that maybe they remember. You want to know what's probably going to be true about the majority of those people? They're probably going to tell you about people singing hymns and not so much people singing other kinds of music. Because people that are saved can be in the midst of great suffering, but they have found joy. Why would you choose something else? Why would you choose another path? That's what John's saying. Why choose something else? It's not going to be good. So then let's go to, let's go to verse 6. Let's continue on to verse 6. It's like, okay, well, you know, we don't make decisions just by emotion. A lot of people do, and you do more than you think. Um, But that's the emotional appeal. Let's look at this. This is a credibility appeal. This is an appeal kind of from from history, from uh, people that have been before and witnesses, from from what is real. This is this kind of appeal. It says in verse 6, it says, This is he, speaking of Jesus, this is he that came by water and blood, Even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth the Spirit, and the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, The witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God has given to us, eternal life, And that this life is in his Son. He that hath uh, the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. There are other places in the Bible where it talks about a record or a witness. Is there any other place in all of Scripture where it tells you so many times about the witness, the witness, the record, the record, the record you have, the witness you have? Is there any other place where it uses that kind of verbiage that much? He is getting a point across. He is very clearly talking to you about a witness and a record and multiple witnesses and multiple records. It's like he's in a court of law, and they're saying, what evidence do you have? And he's saying, <laughs> you know, let's, let's, where do you want to begin? We have a lot. Let's talk about it. And he's bringing up all of these things to try to convince. There is a lot of people who will get convinced because they see a lot of people moving in a certain direction. You know, we're, I, I, well, I, I, I don't even think we're postmodern anymore. I think we're metamodern. But the, the thinking of the world today the, the way they decide truth and goodness, one of the ways they do it is through pluralism. That means if the majority of people say, this is good, this is right, then that must be what's good and right. If I take a poll and 80 people say, hey, I think red is better than blue, the world's going to be like, hey, conclusive evidence. Red is better than blue. You're in the minority if you like blue. Sorry about that. But I mean, it's, it's proven. And you're like, what do you mean it's proven? 80, you've talked to 80 people that were like the red people and not the blue people. But that's, well, if it was you know carried out over a large enough group. Of people. No, but what does it matter if they even think that? That's subjective. But it comes to, it comes to uh, claims of truth. If you go and you actually take a survey of the people in this era, how many people are gonna say it is through faith, it is by grace through faith that you will go to heaven and have a restored relationship with God? Is it going to be more than 50% in Upper Derby? Doubt it. Does that change what the truth is? No. No, it doesn't change what the truth is. But if you're going to find the truth, you need a record. You need a witness. You need to be able to look at history and see it borne out. See, faith is not aimless. Faith is not Without substance, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But it has things that it is based on, that it rests on. Find anyone who is old and who has walked with God for their, their life as best they can. You'll find people that are broken people, that are sinners, that have failed, because we all have. But if you find someone who says, no, this is where I've cast my lot. This is what I've done. Ask that person. And there's some of them in this very room. Do you regret pursuing God? Do you regret making a decision to serve God? Did God ever let you down? Was there ever, did, did God ever, you know, do something and you were like, don't even know if I should have gotten saved. No, no, you're gonna have people who are like, no, it's the best decision I ever made. I, the, the decisions I made that weren't good, you know, looking back, it was when I just didn't trust God. And it's like, well, how how would you classify a mistake? A mistake is not trusting God and doing it his way. And it's like, well, does that cover everything? Pretty much, pretty much. And that's what people are going to tell you. You go and look and and there's, again, not enough time to get into other forms of evidence and, and record. You look at the consistency of the word of God, the truth that is born out in your own life and in the life of other people who are witness. And we have a, a line of witnesses in front of us that all testify to the truth of this. And we gather together in a group of people that all say, yeah, I've experienced that too. You come in and you say, I read, I opened the Bible this week and God gave me something and it prepared me for something I was going to go through. And I was able to navigate this thing even better. And, and I'm, I'm here, I'm telling you, God did something in my life this week and it was good. And you come to a group of people that are not going to be like, that's really weird. This guy's a little cuckoo. You're going to come to a group of people who are like, that's great. Hey, he did that for me too. Or, oh, it's been a while since I've really felt that. I'm inspired to get in the Bible to get that for myself. That all come together and say, yes, we've got it. This is good. We belong. We're there. We're not looking for anything. We are not here this morning as seekers. We we're here this morning as finders. We we're here this morning because we know where to go and we've found him. We have found him. What a wonderful thing. What a wonderful thing. Let's continue on here. Verse 13, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. This through the rest of the chapter, he's going to give an intellectual appeal. This is the logos. This is the, the, the reason, using your mind. He says, starts off, he says, okay, these things have I written unto you, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, that you can know it. Do you realize you can know that you have eternal life? If you can know that you have eternal life, I can't, I can't set a fire in my bones. You know, it's like I can't even finish the past. If you can know that you have eternal life, why would you do anything else? You'd be doing something that you know is wrong. That's childish. That's what my sons do. I have, a, I have a son who is uh, four, going to be turning five in the, the spring. A son who is three. I have a daughter who's about to turn one year old. We have another one on the way. So God has richly blessed us. And we love it. And uh, boy, children are bring so much joy. It's a wonderful thing. We feel very blessed. But you know what my sons do? They're toddlers. They're children. Do they know what the rule of the house is and what the expectations are? Yeah. You we know, have communicated it. And You know, I I don't lay out you know things that are unreasonable for them. I don't demand more than they're capable of doing because that would be provoking them to wrath and frustration. And the Bible says I can't do that as a father, so I have simple things like don't open your window and climb out of it. That's a simple instruction. (laughs) Days since last incident, you know. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, uh, simple thing you know, when they do it, I've talked to them. I've been like, okay, Enoch, why did you do this? I don't know. It's like, well, did you know it was wrong? Yeah, and did it anyway. That's, that's like a child. That's what they do. Yeah, this is a bad idea. I shouldn't do this. If you find, you go down, go down to Kensington Street and ask any of those people, are drugs good or bad? You know what they're all going to tell you? Yeah, they're bad and they kill you. What's that in your hand? Drugs? I'm going to take them. Are you going to die? Yes, this might kill me. That's a sad thing. That is a horrible thing. It's a blight, our community. But it's possible for people to get to a place that they know it's wrong when they, and they, they're, they're still headed down that pathway. But if you know who God is, who the creator of the universe, the only creator, the only God, the only Lord, the only savior, the only one that will come and indwell you, the only one that has given his word, the only one that will guide you and help you. If you know who that is and you know him, why would you go anywhere else? Why would you trust anything else? Why would you invest your time elsewhere? Why would you invest your money elsewhere? The, the, the time we have is for a moment. It's a vapor and then it's gone. Nothing else, nothing else is worth. If you know that, you don't do anything else. So that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. You rest in that. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. And this is what it's saying. There is a day where you said, God, will you please forgive me and save me? Did you believe that God was going to say yes to that? Or do you believe he'd say no? You believed he'd say yes because he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. Why would he send his son to pay the price if he has no intention to say that he's going to forgive you? 100% he's going to forgive you. So you pray and the answer is yes, I will forgive you and save you. If you pray according to God's will, God will answer 100% in the affirmative. Does that mean you can ask for $100? Probably not. Is that God's will? I don't know. But if the Bible says... A soft answer turns away wrath. Can you pray and say, God, I'm an angry man. Can you help me to have a soft answer? Will God answer that prayer? Yes. What's the answer? It's a yes. 100% in the affirmative, guaranteed answer from the Lord. How many promises are there in the Bible? When's the last time you prayed and said, God, help that to be true in my life? Just as much as when you got saved, God will say yes and do it. Ask specifically. Open the Bible and find things to ask God for and he'll do it. But let's continue. That's another sermon for another day. If any man see his brother sin a sin, which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life uh, for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. And you're like, what on earth is going on here? All unrighteousness is sin and there is a sin not unto death. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself and that wicked one toucheth him not. He's saying, by the way, just letting you know, There's this thing called sin unto death. What is it? Not going to tell you. John, tell us about it. Can you tell us? Give us a hint? Can you give us a hint? No. Why? Because John is saying there's some things that are true and real that God does that are part of all all the stuff he does that you don't know about, that he's never going to tell you about. There's information that you will not have. But, but I thought we could know. We can know. But I thought it, it, it's everything that we need to know. It is everything we need to know. But we don't know everything and that's okay. He says, verse 19, and we know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him, that is true, even in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. He has given us an understanding that we may know him. Knowledge and understanding. And wisdom takes that and lives in it and plants your whole life in that. You can know, it makes sense. It makes sense. It's reasonable. Now that, I, I don't know if this is more like for men or women. I know, like with me and my wife, I'm a little more to the to the rational side of it. You know, it's like, no, this is what makes sense, and and she's like, but that wouldn't be good for you know X, Y, or Z reason. There's a lot of things you know gray areas of life, you know, or like you know, do I get the red shirt or the blue shirt? If my wife has a preference; I get that one because I will I will uh, defer to her on those things. There's a lot of things like in church. You know, my wife will be like, "Hey, do you realize this person might have this issue or is struggling with something?" And I'm like, they "Look fine to me." And she's like, "Just go talk to them." I'm so thankful I have a, a wife uh, who's wise. I'm so strengthened by having a partner in ministry. I mean, it's a, it's a great thing. You know, but so much is just you know that the intellectual, the the rational. But you have to have something that's reasonable. You have to have something that's reasonable. If if you come and you, you sat on the chair, all of you are currently seated except for in the back, you're standing, but you do have a chair back there. I've seen you sit. When you sit on your chair, you have confidence, high degree of confidence, probably not 100%, but like really, really close to it, that that chair is going to hold you up. Anyone ever had a chair collapse under them? I've had that before, the very disconcerting feeling <laughs> to sit down. And uh, I don't know if it's like hope deferred, make it the heart sick. I don't know if that's quite the right thing, but you know, maybe it's more like cast down, but not forsaken, uh, something like that. But that's happened to me. But I still sit. I'm not done with chairs for the rest of my life because I fell through one. One let me down. We have confidence. But if you know, hey, if I trust God in this, it's probably going to go better than if I do it my own way. I I knew people in college. I, I worked when I was down in Pensacola as assistant to the dean of men in student life, dealing with disciplinary issues. So I knew people that I knew they did it. They knew they did it. They knew I knew they did it but there wasn't any demonstrable proof that they did it. And they sat down with me in my office and I said, you know, you really just need to acknowledge what you did. And they said, but if I acknowledge what I did, I'll get demerits and I'll have, you know, a disciplinary response and that would not be a good thing. And I said, but but what does the Bible say? And they said, well, the Bible says that, you know, you, you shouldn't lie. I said, so if you are avoiding a consequence, but you are not obeying God, do you have an expectation or a hope to enjoy the blessing of God in your life? And they said, well, I do want the blessing of God in my life. I said, well, does God's blessing, right, let me this one. Does God's blessing come through obedience or through disobedience? And uh, you know, they stop and think about it for a while. And I had a couple people come, you know, one a little bit later, he came and he was like, you know, I prayed about it, I really dealt with this. He said, I'm so sorry, this is the truth, this is what happened. And you know, was there a consequence? Yes, but did that person find the blessing of God Yes, they did, and I wish I had liberty to be able to, at length, detail to you how God blessed someone for choosing the way of honesty and the way of obedience, even though to the flesh, it's like, ah, this is painful, ah, this is uphill, ah, this is hard. It's like, you know, do I want to exercise? Ah, this is hard, I don't like this. But you're, you're developed and built up by that way. But sometimes you have to look, you have to say, maybe sometimes, in the Bible, it says, uh, just earlier in this very book, it says that if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you your sins. That word confess is homo legeo, to say the same thing as. So you're saying the same thing as God about your sin. You know what that might look like? That might look like a prayer that's like this. God, I like this activity. I enjoy it. But you say it's wrong, so please help me to hate it. You know, sometimes your heart takes a little bit, your emotions take a little bit to catch up with where you know the truth is. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? That is a valid biblical prayer. God, my heart's wrong. Your word is right. I'm gonna feel the way you want me to feel. I don't feel it, but I want to feel it. We don't say, well, I'm not gonna obey. I'm not gonna do it because I don't feel it right now. Great, (laughs) how are you ever gonna get where you need to go? How do you get up and go to work? You know, how how do you eat healthy food? How do you do anything in life if you have to feel it before you do it? Now, sometimes you're like, yeah, sense of duty, I got to do it. Whether I like it or not, I'm getting up, I'm going to work, I'm putting in, I'm doing, because that's my responsibility. Well, sometimes you got to do that with God. You got to say, I know this is right. I don't really want to do it right now, but you know what? I'm going to do it. I need to do it. Because you know. There's no other path in life where you'll find the blessing of God. There's no other place for success. There's no other place for joy. There's no other path that is the right path. There is only one singular right path forward in life. The last verse, read the last verse just on your own. It's chapter five, verse 21. You ever wonder why that's in there? Did that ever seem like it kind of came out of the blue? Little children, okay, yeah, he calls us little children because he's old, gray-haired, John. Maybe he's like me, losing some of his hair. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. <laughs> Idolatry, what? What are you talking about, John? Where did this come from? You know, oh, you know, is this like in uh, you know Ezekiel, idols of the heart, you know, or something like that. You no, know, but what, what is he talking about? Th- th- this is perfectly encapsulating The book and as a conclusion for the book what's the beginning of the book the beginning of the book that which we've seen and heard our hands have handled of the word of life i walked with him i sat in a boat with him i saw him do miracles i ate from that loave and that fish that he multiplied i i was there when he died i saw the skies darkened i felt the ground shake i saw him rise i saw him ascend up into heaven john says i was there and why is he writing the book he says we're writing this that you may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the father it's you can have a relationship with god and so while we're on earth we can have a relationship together in a community of believers that's why i'm saying that's why i'm writing it that's the purpose that's what i'm having so how does the book end that's how it starts how does it end what's an idol It's something that takes focus and attention. Something that draws worship, worth. Something that we're valuing highly. He's saying if you have anything else that you're valuing and it's competing with God, you need to keep yourself from that. You need to to run. You need to get away from that. I, I, I fear... The the world that we live in today, and I say world, and I'm not speaking of the whole world. I'm speaking of just the the slice of it that we're in in America. We are wildly prosperous and wealthy and blessed. Poor people have cars, sometimes multiple. Everyone has a cell phone. Children have near $1,000 price tag devices in their pockets for instantaneous communication with more accessible information on it than the Library of Alexandria. We have stuff. We have wealth. We have all these things. You know what comes with that? Those are neutral things. You know what comes with that? Very easy for us to go to church. So easy for us to get to church that we can be picky about what church we go to and still go to a church. Very easy for us to access information about God and know who God is and and get knowledge and listen to stuff and, and grow and understand. So I don't think there's a, a lack in America of, of understanding things. I think the problem, it's, it's like when the word of God is sown out and the four different types of hearts receive it. We have very receptive hearts. The last two types of soils are exceedingly receptive. But one says only the good seed. That's it. What the Bible says, that's what I'm going to do the word of God, that's what I accept. Nothing else belongs in this soil. Nothing else in the heart. But the other soil says, yeah, add it to the other stuff. And it's choked out by the cares of the world, by the idols, by the things that exalt themselves against God. What is there in your life that can compete with God? I guarantee you that thing will not give you the joy that God gives. And you're like, but there's pleasure in it for a season. But that's bringing death into your life. That's bringing death into your life. So you're living with things and then dealing with the consequences and enjoying the blessing of God and the presence of God and the help from other believers in in treading through and making it through those consequences And it's like, ah, praise the Lord. You know, does this balance out? No. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No. No, we we ought not to do that. But but maybe you're living in that place. You know what would be so much better? If you didn't have some death-bringing sin constantly weighing you down? Now that's a struggle. Romans chapter seven, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? You know, Paul's saying, I want to do that. I can't do it. I don't want to do this. I end up doing it. You know, there's a struggle. But Romans chapter eight, it's through the spirit that we have the power to be able to overcome. Are you willing to fight that fight? Are you willing to say, I don't know in the last time that I really confessed this sin and came to God with a heart saying, I really don't want to do it again. And a mind that said, I'm going to make a plan to get victory over this is. I don't know if you have something like that in your life. Today's the day to do that. If you haven't done that or if you need to do that. This is the day to do that. You are going to get rid of those seeds of sin. Why wait for harvest? Pluck it out. Root it out. Just have good stuff. Maybe you're doing things and it, it, it is the wrong crap. It does not line up with what you know is going to produce something good. You have witnesses that are going to testify and listen to what they're saying. And you know the right way to go. We have understanding. God's given us the word. In First Peter, it says that it is sufficient. The word of God that he gave us, the, the, the statement I love, is not a quote, but you know, it's sufficient for all faith and practice. He's given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Maybe you just have to make a decision and say, maybe I don't know this book as well as I need to know it. Or maybe there's things that this book says that I kind of ignore or I haven't really studied out. If you don't know what all the commands are, how can you keep them? If you don't know what the promises are, how can you ask God to do it in your life? If you don't know the names of God and the character of God, how can you praise him for it and thank him for it? If you don't know the, 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 the fault lines and the dangers of sin and a man that are here for our warning or admonition. How can you avoid them? You got to know this. You got to know this. And I know, I know everyone in here. I'm pretty sure everyone in here, if I asked, you'd be like, yeah, no, I, I want that. What you're talking about, that's what I want. I have life. I want to live the life. I want to live abundant life. I want to serve God. I want the blessing of God. I want to do these things. But realize there's competition in your life. When we get to heaven, we're not in heaven yet. When we're in heaven, we're not going to have to exert effort fighting against the flesh and against sin. It will be eradicated. We'll be in the presence of God. We'll be free from the presence of sin. Though there's no more power of sin. It'll be gone. You're never going to have a bad thought come into your mind ever again once you're in heaven. What a wonderful thing. Praise the Lord. That'll be a great day. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. Flesh isn't dead yet. Every day your flesh comes up and says, I got an agenda for the day. I got plans and they feel good. I think this is a good plan. And the Bible says that part of you died when you asked Jesus to forgive you and save you. And when you were baptized, you made a picture and said, this part of me is dead. This is the part of me that's bringing me to death in separation from God. And I've picturesquely left it in the ground, buried it dead with Christ. And then come out with the life that God has bought for me through his son. Through the resurrection of Christ. You can live in that resurrection. Paul said that I may know him. The power of his resurrection. The fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. It's a hard thing. There is some difficulty to do it. It it is laborious. It requires some effort. There's been days I've been tired. I remember in college this happened more, you know, where I was just exceedingly weary during a period where, of of great um, expectations because I had maybe put off things and not done things early, and so everything's due and I'm working on everything. I'm very low sleep. Where I would get up, and I would you know put on my glasses, have my belt, I'm on my clothes, I have my phone, have my wallet, have my book bag. I got all my stuff, and I'd walk out the door and out I go, and I'm and then. I'm literally mid-walk. I'm outside, and it's like my mind turns on. It's like it's booting up the entire time. You know, the wheel's just spinning, you know, no login music. And it's like, whoop, I'm here. And I'm like, wait a minute. How did I get here? I have my wallet. I have my keys. You know, I have my bag. I have all my stuff. Okay, you know, let's go to class. But I I didn't use my brain once to think, okay, I need to do all these things to get ready for my day. I went on autopilot. There has never been a single day in my entire life I've walked out, got all my stuff, and I'm like, wow, I had a really sweet time with God this morning. Wow, that was wonderful how I got in the word and sought him early and just really fellowshiped. No, not once, not once, not a single time. Never, never automatic, never just happened. It was always a choice. It always required effort. It was always something I was very conscious and conscientious of. And you know what? Every time I do it, it's good. It's enjoyable and I love it more and more and more and more. It's sweeter as the days go by. The more I do it, I realize this is what I've heard. This is what other people told me I'd experienced. This is the victory they had. This is the life they had. I'm, I get to experience it too. And I know it'll never let me down because it never let them down. And every time I look in the word and every time I think about it, this is it. We have it. We can have it. And we can do it. There was a day in my life. I told you I was saved when I was five years old. There was a day in my life where I was convinced, not by this per se, but I was convinced of exactly what John was telling us to do. When I had turned 12 years old, I, I was saved. But I, um, you know, sat in the main service, maybe for a couple years, I think starting around 10, I started sitting in the main services. I would sit and draw, I would sit and doodle and read, do whatever. But for the first time as a 12 year old, instead of coming in one ear and out the other, the word of God came in and it bounced around and it stayed there. And I heard what God said and I was exceedingly troubled by it because the life that the Bible described was not the same as the life that I lived on the inside. I was a good kid. I was going to church. My parents brought me. But on the inside, I didn't have this thriving desire and vibrancy and walk with God and purity and all these things. I was just doing whatever. The real me is just off, you know, doing anything. And so I actually, I, was, I wasn't I was even sure I was saved. And so I, I got my uh, salvation settled. It was this verse, chapter 5, verse 13. And then Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I realized, did I do what God told me to do? Yes, and I remember doing it. So I have what God promised I'd have. And my faith is based on the word of God. God will keep his promise. And I have not doubted my assurance again. But shortly after I got that settled, I remember thinking and praying. And the conclusion that I came to, I did not have people tell me. I just listened to the word of God. I read the word of God. I I, I didn't go to my parents to talk through all this stuff. I would have been a lot quicker if I had. But I'm like, no, I need to sort this out for myself. But I came to the conclusion, I need to decide what I want from life. So the day will come where I decide what I do and where I go and what I value and what I want, what I pursue and what I ignore. I will have to make that choice. And I decided in that moment, I want what God wants for me and nothing else. I want to do what God wants me to do and not what I want to do. I want God and nothing else. And I prayed and I said, God, I want you to take me and I want you to use me for whatever you want to use me for. You can break me and mold me and shape me and make me into whatever you want to make me into. And then it was just shortly after that, God called me to preach. And my my response to that was actually initially I'd said no. I was like, God, this is a bad idea and let me tell you why. Not a good thing to do. But um, I submitted to the will of God and uh, he has blessed and it's been good and the best thing that I've ever done. But I, I don't know, we're, we're at the end of the message. I don't know if any of you have, have never done that or never really settled that. Or maybe there was a time where you did that, but you know li- life, slow, li- life gets you into a pattern and a rut. And then over time, it moves a little bit. Usually you don't have days of big change and upheaval. Those are very uncomfortable. We don't like change. But y- you do what you do. What does your everyday look like? What is what you do looks like? Does it look like the Bible or are there things that need to change? Maybe you need to come to God again and say, God, I, I know what it talked about. Maybe you'll say, hey, I, I know what I had. I've lived this life and I want to live it again. And if that's anyone in here, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. So let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Let's go to the Lord and pray or God is here in this room. God has been here. God is obviously he's omnipresent, but I think there's a promise that God is specially present in the place where the church meets. We have come here this morning. We have brought our Bibles. We have come for God. And I believe that God is here. And I trust that God has even spoken to you through my feeble words, but it is through his word that he's communicated his truth. And this is what God laid on my heart. And so I don't know who this is for. Uh, or how this will be used, but I I want to just pray and then give you an opportunity to respond. God, I pray that you would accomplish your will in us today. Help us all to be submissive to what you want us to do. God, it is not through our power. It's not through our might. God, we, we can't of our own selves accomplish anything good. But God, you can take us and do something incredible with us. So God, I pray you would do a work this morning, in this moment, Our heads are still bowed. Our eyes are closed. And I want to just ask you, did God speak to you? And did God tell you, you need this? Maybe you need this again, or you need this. There's some area that God wants to deal with. Maybe it's an area to purge. Maybe it's something he wants to plant and start growing that hasn't had enough room because you've had a full life. And it's good. I'm not saying it's not good. I'm not saying we're you know off the rails, going the wide way. We're walking the narrow way. But do we have everything God wants us to have? Does our life look like the the Bible says it should look like? Are there any idols that we need to keep ourselves from and get out of the house? If, If God spoke to you and you need to deal with something, would you deal with it now? We looked at verse 14, and we can have confidence that if we ask God to do something that is in God's will, it's a 100% guarantee he did it. If God spoke to you today, and you respond, and you say, God, I want to do what you just told me to do, God will answer that. I want to ask, would you make a plan? Would you pray and say, God, will you give me a plan to do the thing that you told me to do, to deal with the thing you told me to deal with. Sometimes we're here and you know, we, we plot, we have plans to go and do sin. Sometimes we plot, we have plans to go and, and seek God. Maybe we have a time set aside in our calendar, our planner to seek the Lord. But would you say, maybe there's someone I need to talk to. Maybe there's something I need to do. After you have a moment, maybe you want to say, God, I'm going to put it in my phone, in my calendar, or I'm going to take out my planner. I'm going to make a note. Would you pray and would you say, God, will you guide me? Will you help me to do that? I will make a plan to obey. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for what you do in our hearts. Uh, God, we, we cannot do it. We cannot make it on our own. And yet... You've made us overcomers. We can overcome the world through the power of your Son. Thanks be to God for this unspeakable gift. How awesome you are to us. God, I pray that you would work in the hearts of your people, work in my own heart, that we would respond to your direction, that we would live the way you would have us to live, that we would use practical things in your word to uh, tools to help overcome uh, these strongholds or issues or to, to root out these idols uh, that may be in our life, um, taking our time from you. And God, as we close this morning, we join together with a word of praise to thank you primarily for Jesus and the blood of your son, that we have a hope, a sure hope of eternal life with you that we have fellowship with you and we can come even now boldly to the throne of grace to find grace to help in time of need. And that we can walk with a, a clean heart and conscience knowing that we are doing what you have for us to do. What a wonderful thing to just rest in the comfort uh, that we are where we need to be with you. We thank you for all of that, God, and we thank you for the power to be able to do what you want us to do, for the power to be able to represent you And to love like you love. For the power to be able to say no to sin. And to say yes to your spirit. Let us be filled today. Let us be controlled by your spirit. And we just praise you. And thank you. And we trust you. In Jesus name. Amen.